passing around to you, and, and, and I, I don't even know who half the people are whom I'm being interviewed with and what they're saying and what they're doing. Um, this would be over here. Um, we were in this big shore. At this time, I was six years old. I was with my mother and my two brothers, David and Yassi, David and Joseph. What does a six-year-old do when the bullets are flying, when people were being beaten, when babies were thrown across the, the room, when they took out the sacred Torah and threw them on the floor, and all the chumashim and all the sparring were all over, and people had to go to the bathroom. So they went on the side of things, they took out talesim, and they made them clean up with the talesim. Here I was, six years old, with my mother and brothers. What do you think I was doing? I'm sorry, I can't hear you. I think I would cry. <laughs> cry? I may have been crying, yeah. Scared, and what else? Davin. Davin. Yeah, maybe. I don't know if I knew how. Do you have a daughter? Do you have a child? When she was six years old, and if she was scared, what did she do? What did you do? Go to your mother. You hold on tightly to your mother, right? Mm -hmm. What does your mother do? Hold on tightly to her. Isn't that a not normal thing to do? Mm -hmm. It's normal and natural. That's what everybody does. I don't know how it happened. Remember that back of that door? On the other side of the door, there was a man. It may have been my uncle or somebody I called my uncle because I didn't call people by their first name. And he beckoned to me. My name was Fredja or Fredel at the time. And he said, run. I must have been very stupid very naive. You don't let go of your mother and run, right? You just hold on tight. And your mother would hold you tight. Maybe my mother pushed me. Maybe God pushed me. I don't know how it could happen. But I ran out of that door. That was the last time I saw my mother and my brothers and the rest of those people. They were taken to Treblinka. You mentioned Treblinka. This is Lee and one of the um, uh, March of the Living pictures that I've gone to. Treblinka now has 17,000 stones to remember 860,000 people who were murdered. Half the people in Pietrica, half the people in Warsaw, and many other places. Um, can you just turn me there's a key there? Yeah, that'd be just, could you please just close it? You, you could be, just close it there. And there are more chairs over there if you need. Yeah. Did you expect 12 people? What did you, what did you say? Well, you're, you're all welcome, and I've got lots more chairs. But I figured we would sit around the table because it was just so intimate. I don't, I don't very often have small groups, and I had chairs set up like this. Because well, this, uh, this, this is fine. Yeah, if more people come in, we can just make it. Can I take my jacket If you like. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need my permission, certainly. Um, Thank you for having us. Uh, um, I don't know who you are. Shuren is the name. Oh, of course. And your, your, your wife. Of course, I met you and your wife taught in uh, with my daughter at the Muna. Correct. Oh, sure, sure. Actually, to be clear, your wife. Your wife, your daughter, got my wife the job. Oh. And gave it to me. Oh, 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 I'm so, oh. 
that's what I know you from. Okay. Esther Sherry. Okay, I, I just want to tell you that after this week, do you know what happened to me this week? <laughs> you don't know what happened. I don't have to go up and not. Tell us, tell them, tell them huh? again. I, I'll get your autograph after the class. I can't believe. <laughs> did you do you know that the president of America came to Israel? Yes, of course. We were stuck in the traffic jam. And do you and do you know that he was in Yad Vashem? Mm -hmm. He came to Yad Vashem to meet me. I mean, it's unbelievable, but that's exactly what happened. He laid a wreath, and the choir sang to him, and then he spent most of the time speaking to Gita and me. Amazing. And we have pictures to prove it. Otherwise, I wouldn't believe it either. <laughs> <laughs> what, what are you saying? Did you, did you tell the class what you uh, said to her? Yeah, yeah, I did. Okay, good, great. great but that's great. really not so important. I mean, it's just important that he came to Yad Vashem and that he, uh, oh, he also did tell me that he took his boys to Dachau because he oh. wanted them to know about it. Yeah. That's an important thing to tell you. And wow. when he's been here before, he's very interested in Holocaust education. I gave him a book, I hope he gets it, you know, and I wrote in it saying um, a, a frightened 10 year old little girl is grateful to the United States of America who allowed her to come with the quotas that you talked about. Okay, in Pietrica, if you look, there's a stone, not in Pietrica, in Treblinka, there's a stone with the name of Pietrica. Nobody buried under these, but this is the biggest cities have the names of the stone. Later I'll tell you how I found it, because it's very important for a group like yours. Um, I never saw my mother, I never saw my brothers, I didn't see any of those people. They were all brought in to Treblinka. They heard screaming in a little building, and it was a gas chamber. And when the screaming stopped, they had other Jews pull out the bodies, throw them on the side of the road, and push in as many people as as they could. And that's how all of those people were gassed. Later on, Himmler came and they spread all kinds of flammable liquid because they wanted to get rid of all their evidence. And so when you go there, all you have is bones and ashes. And under the slab where the president put the wreath of bones and ashes that have brought from all the different concentration camps and killing sites. Well, I didn't have a mother. I didn't have brothers, I didn't have a home. This man who told me to run, what was he going to do with me? He took me to my father, who was working in a glass factory called Hortensia Glass Factory. It was a man's camp. And there were two other factories. One was made woodworking, and one was tanning of leather. So I came to I can't talk to you, I'll call you back, please. Sorry. Um, this man took me to my father. What was my father due to with me? He kissed me and hugged me, and he realized that I didn't belong in a man's camp. A six-year-old girl was useless. Girls weren't useless in general, but boys over the age of 10 could work. My father said, from now on, your name isn't Fredja anymore. You're not my Fredel. Your name is Freud and you're 10 years old. Can you say that? Froyum, you're 10 years old. You're a 10-year-old boy, and you have to remember that. You're a 10-year-old boy, and your name is Froyum, and I learned to speak like a boy, and I tried to keep out of people's ways, and people knew. A lot of the men knew and helped me, 
that I was this little boy, 10 year old, and my job was to bring water to the other people. Rabbi Lau was also working there in Naftali Lavi. And um, I tried to keep out of the way. The men really tried to hide me if somebody came in. How I did it, only because God was watching. There's just no way that could have happened. One day, they had these big German shepherd dogs. And every time they wanted to show you the joy, the dog would take a bite out of your arm. If you couldn't lift your arm because it was painful, they would just shoot you. Well, plenty of people to replace you. You were lucky to be working there because if you worked, they wouldn't be sending you. But one day, the allies were getting closer. Who were the allies? Russia, the United States, and Britain, right? Those three, when they were coming in to fight against the Germans, this was already 1944. We had been there. We were moved to Chancellor to a factory over there. And um, it again piled us up, and we were brought to the Umschlagplatz, where were these Catholic cars waiting for us. 80 to 100 people were shoveled into one of these cars. Nothing to eat, nothing to drink, and one pail, which would have been for a toilet, but you couldn't get over it. So people soiled themselves. People went crazy, people cried, people wailed, people just didn't know. Some people were able to jump out of windows, but the windows had barbed wire on it, where we were. So you hear about different stories. People died in the cattle cars. It was just terrible. I, I don't know how anybody survived. Finally, we crossed over from Germany, no, from Poland into Germany. And the doors were flung open, and we had to jump down into the snow. It seems to me it always snowed. It's not true. I've been to Poland where it's spring and summer and there are flowers and fruits. I just remember freezing cold all the time, not having any coat, not wearing shoes. We crossed over. We jumped out, we used the snow to eat it, and we used the snow to drink it, and we used the light to look around who was still there. And while I was looking, we were looking around, Germans dressed clean, we were filthy, we were disgusting. Shiny black boots, black visors on their hats, bullhorns are made in Austin, you're being taken to camps. Men on one side, women on the other. Our camp was all men, the other camps had men and women, so they separated the men and the women. My father had a problem right now. What was the problem? Me. I was a girl pretending to be a boy. But he knew when you go in, what's the first thing you have to do when you get into a camp? Undress. Strip, you have to get undressed. And if you would get undressed, what would happen? You would see, they would see that I'm on, they would kill me, they would kill my father, and anybody else who tried to help me. My father met a school teacher who had come from one of the other camps, and he asked her if she would keep an eye on me. He gave me a picture. That's why pictures are so important. You can see pictures all around me. And he said, look at the picture. It's a mother and father and three children, two boys and a girl. The war is gonna be over. He promised to meet me in our hometown in Pietrica. He promised. Fathers are supposed to keep their promises, right? My father didn't keep his promise. I never saw him again. I found this schedule, which has his name, his number, and his, um, uh, his brother's number, his mother's name, and Rabbi Lau and Naftali Lau, who were the two brothers, whose father 
was taken to Treblinka with my pa with my mother. And this was the list that was taken from Jens Tachova. So if you're looking for it, I can tell you how to find all these different things with a different... Um, this is just L. This one page of Will. We would I never saw my father again. <clears throat> but I know he went to Buchenwald. So if he went to Buchenwald at that time, I must have gone to Bergen-Belsen. I don't know anything about when I went to Bergen-Belsen because Bergen-Belsen was completely burned down. I'll show you the pictures of how it was burned down. Yeah. Um, uh, I didn't have a father, but I had a new mother. And I was walking with her on the, in the snow. I must have either had no shoes or maybe rags or maybe something like that. Uh, because when I came to the United States, my adopted parents took me to a doctor because my foot, I had a big, I had a frozen toe. They didn't know what a frozen toe was because people in New York don't have frozen toes. You know, nobody goes in the snow or skiing barefoot or something like that. When they realized what it was, they were able to help me. Uh, when we got into Bergen-Belsen, we were walking there. As a woman sat down, they were shot. If a woman looked around the wrong way, they were shot. Down below, in the valley, there were two men lying in that freezing cold with their pants down. I didn't understand what was going on there. Why would two men lie there in the cold with their pants down? Why? Anybody have an idea? They were dead. Were they dead? They were dead. If a Jewish woman ran away, maybe she could pretend to be a Christian. You don't look typically Jewish. If a Jewish man ran away, and if he had been circumcised, if he had a big milah, that was a definite kind of thing. And so women really had a better chance of pretending. Um, I didn't understand what the women were talking about this. When we got to Bergen-Belsen, just the way my father predicted, we had to get undressed. He gave me those pictures. I was holding them. One of the soldiers saw that I was holding. You know, maybe it was a diamond, maybe it was money, maybe, maybe, maybe. He pried out my hand, it was just pictures. Tore them up and threw them away. Damn, it was garbage. And he was very disappointed that I didn't have something of value. To me, it would have been, do I look like anybody? Do my children, do my grandchildren, do my great-grandchildren? I have no idea what they looked like. Threw them away in the garbage. When we came out of the showers, cold showers, they were water, they weren't gas. And every woman would get some sort of old uniform or garb or something. And um, every five or six women, you would get one blanket, you would get one blanket, you would get one blanket. How much can you cover yourself when you're on the stone floor with, with lice and fleas and rats and everything that you can imagine, filth being there? Every day in Bergen, oh, this woman, my new mother, I don't remember her name, stole a black coat that somebody else had left. She could have been killed for doing such a terrible thing, but I think she saved my life because she kept the coat in her body heat. It gave me some sort of something. I don't know what happened to her. I don't know what happened to her. She was like an angel sent by God to help take care of me. Every day, hundreds of people died, and the women would take their blanket, put her body into the blanket, and throw the body out someplace in the vast expanse. Every, every place you went, 
you would find there. In Maidanic, in Auschwitz, you smelled gas. In Bergen-Belsen, you just smelled death. And you got used to smelling that it never went away. All these dead bodies decomposing. One day, I was very sick with typhus. How do I know I have typhus? I'll prove it to you that I have typhus just a little bit later on. And I don't know how I found myself lying with the dead bodies outside there. I don't know whether somebody took me out, whether I got myself out. It was better than being in that stinking, terrible mess with all the lights and fleece and, and, and rats eating at you. I was out there. Something happened that day, never happened before. Soldiers came in and they started speaking in a different language that I didn't understand. And then in Yiddish, and the women were kept yelling and people who never walked faster were running and people who never spoke were shouting, you're free, you're free, you're free. We are the British Army. We have come to free you. You're free, you can do whatever you want. We brought you food, we brought you medicine. You're free to go home. What do I want to do? I can't walk because everything is spinning. I don't have a mother, I don't have a father, I don't understand the language they're speaking. The British had a very hard time. They came in, some of them threw up because they couldn't, it's the sight and the smell. And then they dug big ditches and they even got the locals, the Germans to come to help bury all these people. 10,000 people were buried. 50,000 people had been in the camp, but 10,000 bodies were just lying around there. And then they made these signs that typhus, if you're driving, go very quickly because typhus, even the dust picks it up. And then they burnt down all the barracks that the Jews lived in. They were so filthy. They were so infested with, with worms and with lice and with, 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 with anything that you can imagine. There was nothing to say. And then they took people like me who were very sick. They put me on a stretcher with a sheet. I don't remember what a sheet was like. And they took me to where the Germans were. They had barracks made out of cement and out of bricks. And Hanover had a hospital. They took us to hospitals. In the hospital, they gave me medicine and food because people died eating the wrong food. You know, when you haven't eaten for such a long time, you can't gobble down something like that. Because I was one of the lucky ones, I was sent to Sweden with the orphans. They took me by stretcher to Lubeck, to Malmo, which is in Sweden, and it, you have to cross the water. And there, from there, I went to, it says, this is from uh, Jews who are, who are uh, uh, it's a transfer sponsored by the Swedish Red Cross from German concentration camps. And this is my name, Fredja, and they took me to a, um, a displaced persons camp, a DP camp, where I met a woman, she became my new mother. I don't know who she was, but she helped me, she was wonderful, and then she disappeared. I was very sick, so I was taken to this hospital called Hasselholm, and there, again, they gave us medicine, they gave us food, they knew what to do with us. A lot of people died. Somehow, rather God meant for me to live, maybe to speak to you, and I didn't die. Beautiful Swedish couple. Yeah, should put, bring that little the sculpture. That sculpture. This one? Care, yeah, careful. Very careful. Very careful. Very careful. Just bring it. Is it? Okay. Yeah, just pick it up. A 
couple came, a Christian couple. They brought me this sculpture. and has, can you see it says 45 DP? Mm -hmm. And they brought me a doll. And they brought me candy. And they asked me if I want to go and live with them. Well, of course I wanted to live with them. They were beautiful, they were clean, they were giving me all these different presents. But the people around said something that I didn't understand. They said that I was Jewish. What did it mean to be Jewish? I don't remember my mother lighting candles. I don't remember Passover. I don't remember anything of, of, of being Jewish. All the Jewish children, I was told, were going to be taken to Palestine. Why did I say Palestine and not Israel? When was Israel born? 1948. And this was 45. But the, the British mandate was going to allow orphans to come to Palestine. When I got back from the hospital, I went to this other place called Tinsquid. And there I met a new mother. I was always meeting mothers. I was very, very lucky. Maybe my mother was looking down, helping me find all these different people. I, I don't know how. Her name was Anna. Anna had a son, Sigmund, and a daughter, Fanny. Her brother had gone to the United States before, and he went through that quota that you talked about, a German quota, and they were able to come. Somebody had to sponsor you, and he sent her uh, tickets and money and visas and affidavits and all the things she wanted, and passports were filled out. And Anna and her son and daughter were going to go to America, and I was going to go to Palestine. Hashem had a different rule for me. While we were waiting, this little girl, her name was Fanny, died. Her death was my luck. I had the muscle. Her daughter lost her, her, her mother lost a daughter, and she asked me if I wanted to be her daughter. I always wanted to be somebody's daughter. I always wanted to have a mother. She gave me her name. She gave me her birthday. She was dead, she didn't need a birthday. I didn't have a birthday. I never had a birthday before. Her birthday was February 15, 1936. My picture was put into the passport. I had a new name, I had a new mother. I was born in Germany. Remember I told you I was born in Poland? No, I was born in Germany. I became that child. And we came to the United States and there was singing on the boat, and there was food on the boat, and I got a new outfit, which I have a picture of green. I mean, everything was happening to me, and we saw the Statue of Liberty and the big houses, and the, the, the Anna's family picked us up from Ellis Island in New York, and I was written as Anna's daughter. My name is Fanny, nine and a half years old, and I was born in Germany, and we went to Lindenhurst, and they gave us food, and the children started teaching me words, say man, say woman, say book. Every day, new words appeared, and I thought new words were born every day, and I learned very, very quickly. And in the summertime, three months later, we went up to the Catskill Mountains. People used to go there, and they were like a rooming house, like a motel, where every family got a room. You, you're shaking your head, you know about those. And there was a kitchen on one side, and there was a bathroom, and the children went to day camp, 
different kind of camp. I went, I learned to go swimming, and I learned to play ball, and I learned to play, to ride a bicycle, and roller skates, and there was blueberry picking. Life was wonderful. Everything was, I was learning English every day. I learned more English, and one day Anna disappeared. Didn't worry me so much, because all the women were very good to me. I had a bed, nobody was being shot. There was a new language being born. I went swimming, but one day, Shortly after the family came back, everybody looked like they were crying and being very sad. And they said, Fanny, pack up your things, we have to go home. I did as I was told. And they took us to a place where they had stone things and lots of grass, and there was one hole. It turned out to be the Farmingdale farm, uh, Cemetery. Anna, my new mother, had died. And they were burying one person. One. Let me just find out because these are all interviews. Hello? Yeah. Oh, oh, Marla, call, this is England. Oh, hello, Marla. How are you? You're calling from London? Wow. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Thank you. I, 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 I've been following you. What? It well, was. It must have been a great experience. It was a great experience, and I don't know how I chose chose me, but it's not something that you would forget. And to be to be be in Yad Vashem, and then you found me in London, and the paper there was it a Jewish paper, a regular paper? Well, here, no, it was a um, Jewish paper. Good. Okay. And how are you? Um. Okay, and yes. ben, what about you? Can I call you back? I'll call you back because I've got a group that I'm speaking to. Call you back in about an hour, okay? Is is this a number? I've got to go out in less than an hour. Oh, and oh. I'll be out for a few hours. Could you call me back? Friends. I'll be home all afternoon. Could you please call me back? Okay? I'll be please. back afternoon. Okay. Thank you. Bye bye. London. Can you imagine? You need a manager. I do. Would you like to be one? Yeah, that would be great. Oh, I, I took out those pictures real fast, and I've got all these letters. And, and this is somebody who was in Bergen-Belsen with me. And her, fa her brother, his name is Ben Helfgott, and he's the president of Yad Vashem in, uh, in London. Um, and I have a story about him, but I'm, I'm, I'm going off my track. I'm going to tell you. While I was in the hospital, Barbara Sofa, who wrote my book, I told you I found lots and lots of documents. This is my temperature chart. Mm -hmm. In 1945. Wow. Temperature chart, they still had it. And I had typhus and diphtheria, two mm. terrible sicknesses that people just don't survive mm. even now. Now you don't have these maybe third world countries. Anyway, Anna died. We went to Sipshiva, and now the family had a problem. They brought over a woman who was going to take care of her children, but now that she was dead, they really didn't want me. Somebody in that family knew someone in Brooklyn, New York. They named Leah and Jacob Gold, and they had no children. And they asked them if they'd like to meet an orphan who needed a home. So I was brought there Shabbos afternoon, uh, no, Friday afternoon before Shabbat. They gave me milk cookies and milk. There was chicken soup, and the house smelled beautiful. The only thing I didn't like is that they had a little dog, and you know how I feel about dogs. But I, I wasn't going to show them that I was scared because maybe they liked the dog better than me. 
And if they wouldn't like me, would they send me back there? Would they send me to an orphanage? Would they send me in the street? Can you imagine a little girl having to think about what's gonna, where will she be sleeping tomorrow? Well, I was wrong. I got a new mother. This was when she was 100 years old and we made her a party. And that's where it says globally, because her name was Globe, quintessential. And this was my father. And they gave me a wonderful life. I really, I learned English, I went to school, I had music lessons, I went traveling. I met this wonderful, wonderful man who, um, who was more religious than, uh, than we were, but they loved him, so they became more. And then when we had children, they became more. So, and, and you know, the whole, everything just uh, fell into place. This was me in Sweden, in that place with other children, and we had a dog tag on us. And um, in 1981, there, were, there was a gathering. This is a picture of me with, with, with the president. But in 1980, I just put it there because I figured I should have something to show when I don't have that book with me. In 1981, there was a gathering of Holocaust survivors here in Israel. And my children said, you know what? Why don't we go there? Maybe somebody else in the family survived. So we came to Israel, we put up signs in Binyanei Ha'uma. Nobody ever heard of me, and I didn't hear of anybody else. So we rode to a place called Arlson, very good place if anybody's looking. And in Arlson, they wrote back to me my name, my <coughs> parents' name, which camps I had been in, what I had done, when I wound up in Bergen-Belsen, and in Sweden, case closed, child adopted in America. So all the things I told you, now I'm saying, it's true. It really is true. In 84, we made Aliyah, and we came here, and my husband started working with Rabbi Steinsalz, and he volunteered as a Rosh Kolo in, at, at uh, YU, and, and he made a Kolo over here. And um, I started working in Yad Vashem, first in a small museum, in, a, in an art museum. In 89, I went back to Poland. I was terrified of going back, but I bet with Yad Vashem, and I hired these two guys. I found my birth certificate, my brother's birth certificate, my parents' marriage license. My we also went to Chachmei Lublin to see Rabbi Shapiro, how he built that and why he left Ketrikov. I found uh, my mother's prenuptial agreement. I mean, you know, and I found the apartment and my grandparents' apartment. I, mean, I can't get any. Poland is not giving anything. I don't really want anything, but just to acknowledge that we have all the deeds to their house. And I think it's very important when I'm asked to speak to groups like, specifically like yours, because there are a lot of people of, all over the world, and even in the United States, who don't know anything about the Holocaust, who don't know about the camps. And in a few years, there won't be too many, there won't be Holocaust survivors. The youngest are in their 80s. I'm one of the youngest ones. And I think we have to laugh as much as we can and love as much as we can and make sure that Israel is safe and free and anybody who wants to come here, we have to be the Jews. They, they never had a chance to be. And we have to get married and have children and keep on trying to make up for what we lost. Yes? How, how did you meet your husband? Oh, I met my husband, Sukkot. We were, we were uh, soccer hopping. Um, we lived on on Eastern Parkway near the Babacher uh, 770. And um, uh, I went to my friend's house and uh, her brother- was in Crown Heights? 
We lived in Crown Heights. We, we lived in Flappers Crown Heights. Uh -huh. uh, and we came there and we went from one sucker, you took a drink, you know, and you went to the other sucker. Mm -hmm. And my husband was there and he asked his friend for my number. And then my friend said, he's not for you. He's much too religious. He's much too quiet. He's an introvert. And I love partying and, and going horseback riding and going dancing and doing things like that. And he liked to learn. And, and, and he was a, a new lawyer. And um, he called me. And uh, I was busy. He called me for Saturday night. That's when you had dates. And then he said, OK, can you go out with me Thursday? And we went out. And then we went out a second time. And then he proposed to me. <laughs> and we planned our things. A few months later, we were married. And thank God we were married for 60 years. And we have four children, Kanaina Hara. He passed away three years ago. As I told you, we have 22 children. And we're counting, hoping to get many more grandchildren. And I have notes that he wrote me every single day. I had a group of men here. I do the Shabbat of a Lifetime thing. I don't know if you know oh, that's it. beautiful. Yeah, so I had men Friday night from Momentum, and I had women from Boston Momentum, and they the, the men said that this is something they're going home with, to write to their notes. If you want to go look at them, and I have, on every Parsha, he would, this man opened up Vayetze, and he said, Vayetze, um, Yaakov went out, and I went out, and I found you, and you know, beautiful notes like that. So that's how I met my husband. And you, he was more observant than you were? Much more. Yeah, we were and conservative. And you didn't bother you? Oh, it did bother me. <laughs> it did bother me because um, it was the first wedding that I had gone to that there was no mixed dancing. <laughs> I, 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 what, there were, and people didn't know how to dance like that. You know, I, we danced, but nowadays it's very common and the orchestras know what to play. Also, he didn't kiss me under the chuppah. And I thought that at every wedding, the chatan kisses the bride. No, it did bother me. He made up for it. It's okay. But, but, but uh, when you say it didn't bother me, I loved him. I, and I really, I liked him at first and I admired him greatly. And everything just very happened very, very quickly. And he was a wonderful, wonderful husband. And my parents became, my father started wearing a kippah all the time. And he started going to show, also his father died. So he started going to shul, so that got him into it. And they uh, they used to have like uh, Welch's grape juice mm -hmm. and, and things like that. And they stopped doing all that because my husband wouldn't eat, you know, until that. So they they changed. And then as we grew, um, we, we didn't do social dancing. And we, on the other hand, he went along with me, you know, when we went, we went to movies and we went traveling and we did a lot of other things. So I guess we met sort of halfway in between. Can I ask a question? What school did they send you to? What school did they take me to? In well, Brooklyn. first, in what? In Brooklyn. In Brooklyn. First, I went to PS92. It was very unsuccessful because I came there. I belonged in first grade because I didn't know how to read or write, but I was big. You know, I was 10 years old. Put me into third grade, and the teacher gave a spelling test. And I was looking around to see what am I supposed to do. I didn't know how to rewrite. She said I was cheating. Took me to the principal. And the principal realized I was too dumb to cheat. If you don't know how to write, you can't. And he put me in the next class. The next class wasn't any better. My parents took me out, and they brought me to the Center Academy, which was the Brooklyn Jewish Center. 
which is not part of Lubavitcher. It's on Eastern Parkway. It was a small class and they got me tutors. And by the end of the year, I was speaking English. By the time I got to high school, I went to Thomas Jefferson High School. Wow. And, the, and I went, you did too? In Brown, Brooklyn, in Eastern yeah. Europe? Brown yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you traveled there? Yeah, because, yeah. Because was Brown the from there? Really? <laughs> I should have visited you. Um, <laughs> well, what, the reason I did that is because I went to a day school. I learned Hebrew. And so when I got to, I was behind, you know, I should have been a year ahead, but I got credit for Hebrew because I knew some of it, so went through there. So I went to Thomas Jefferson High School and then to Burton College. And then later on, my husband encouraged me to go get my master's, which, which I did, which was good because when I came here, I was able to teach at Hebrew U. And without the master's, you can't do that. Which subject? Remedial reading. Mm. Can you imagine a child who didn't know English is now <laughs> teaching English remedial reading? Wow. Yes, please. Um, did you ever forgive, and if so, how? Good question. Did I ever forgive? I don't think I ever forgave them. You can't forgive somebody who took away your mother and father and brothers and six million others. But I also don't have the 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 hate and 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 the being actively uh, there. Um, I think we have a lot of enemies. The Germans now are not our enemies, they're our friends. They helped us build roads and hospitals and, and, and they gave, uh, I, get, I get from the Germans now, I get free medicine as a Holocaust survivor and I get a discount on my Arnona and things like that. So Germans have become our friends. Will I forgive? No. You can't forgive, but you, but you sort of forget and you go on. So you mentioned like you had many different identities and names, but when did your name become Rena? Oh, well, that's good, good. Her good. name is Rena. My, my name is Rena. Mm-hmm. How did you get your name? Uh, my parents really liked the name. Okay, <laughs> so my name was Fredja, Fredel. Yeah. Fredel. And then I became a boy, so Froyum was the closest there. Then I became Fanny, just happened to be somebody's in the F. They didn't like Fanny in America, it was Francis. And when I came to uh, live with these people, and they were very Zionistic and involved with that, and they said, you know, you're not a Fredel, you're not a boy anymore. You're, and uh, a Fredel means joy, and joy means Rena. Uh-huh. Now and you're gonna be all Rena. And in 1946, there was a new name. Now it's a very popular name. Mm-hmm. That's how I got the name. Do you remember the state of Israel becoming the state of Israel? I remember in 47 everybody being around the radio talking about partition and the United I didn't know what they were, mm-hmm. but everybody was very, very excited when Israel was born. But I also remember the different wars, like uh, the Six Day War. <laughs> Menucha came home and she says they need bandages, so we have to take the sheets and they're gonna cut the sheets because they needed a lot of bandages in, um, in Israel. So I gave her my good sheets because they never <laughs> used it and Six Day War turned out uh, very, so we were very involved, very Zionist. Yes, please. How did you, how were you able to maintain your joy and be so joyful as you are today? I, you know what? Uh, they say the first three years of your life your mother makes a very big difference in, in, in you. I don't remember my mother, but she must have been a good mother. I, I, I think, I don't know. And then the people who adopted me, um, the other mothers 
really, what could they do for me? They could hold my hand maybe, or maybe share a piece of bread, or maybe share a blanket. I don't remember them at all except the woman, Anna, who brought me here. But my adopted parents were very good. They encouraged me and they made a contract with me because they knew that I was worried that this wasn't going to last. <clears throat> and just the way I went from mother to mother, they said I would be with them forever. And uh, we never talked about that. And I guess there were two cousins and uh, the psychologist sort of said, they don't want me and they couldn't. Then I should not. Yad Vashem what? Haley, can I call you back, please? Yad Vashem. So they really very, and then and then my husband encouraged me in every way. He wrote to me and he thanked Hashem every day for saving me and for um, for me marrying him. And I should tell you, uh, I have a, a six-minute speech now that my grandson wrote. He's a rabbi. He was a rabbi in, in London, and he took his girls uh, from the Hasmonean school to to Poland on a Polish trip. And he took them to the synagogue where I showed you the picture where Rabbi Lau was. And he said, a place that a miracle happened to you. This is not, you know, something bad or good happened to you or avoided. But a place where a miracle happened to you, you have to make a special prayer. Do you know that prayer? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's, it's not Gomer. It's a different one. He says, he was born in 1987. In 1942, because his grandmother, meaning me, ran away, his mother was born. His mother's not Menuchah, his name is, her name is Naomi. And because she was born, he was born. And because he was born, thank God he can bring in six Jewish children living in Eretz Israel. So, um, and he wrote about this and he says, can you imagine uh, a, a, a child who was left all alone as being with with the president, with the president, and with Blinken, and with, with Gantz, and all that. And he wrote this whole speech, and he sent it out, because he sends out things to London. Now I got a call from somebody else completely in London. How did so. you, why did you make Aliyah? We made Aliyah because we brought our children up to be very Zionistic. They all went to B'nai Akiva. And Menucha married Ezra Schwat, from, uh, uh, he was in Yeshiva Haratzion. She came here, and the other kids said, we're all gonna go. And every time we came, my husband wanted to buy an apartment, and I really didn't like it. We had a beautiful house, and we lived in a wonderful community, and he had a very good job as a lawyer, and why, why leave anything like that? And then my mother was in the Pinsker building, and she saw this apartment. A man had built it for his wife, and his, she died, and his new wife didn't want to live in the apartment he built for her. And my mother came to look at it, and she called up, and she said, you'll love this apartment. It's big, you can be all the furniture that you want, and, and you can make a pine science, and it's near uh, the Ben Yehuda, and then you can walk to the Kotel, and everything is, so my husband bought it on the phone. <laughs> I mean, he just wanted an apartment, he didn't care what it looked like. And then we came to see it, and then he went back, because he was working on a big case. I became the lawyer. We hired a lawyer, but every five minutes I would ask him, you know, what to do with this. Once we had the apartment, he said, we're going to move. And I was afraid, so he, he said, you know what? We're gonna get married again, but we're gonna marry each other. But just make believe we're coming, 
and we're going to start a new home and meet new friends. And every day we went out on King George to buy ourselves a gift, something like that. And we started a new marriage and, and, and a new life. And he said, if we don't like it in a year, we'll come back. We loved it. We loved it. And, uh, and when did you start um, being involved with the Advashem? In 1985. We came in 84, and I wanted to do something. So I went there, and they had, they, they, somebody was selling books on the outside of the museum. So I started doing that. And then there was a course to guide in the art museum. So I took the course, and I became a guide in a small art section. And then slowly they, they started the historical museum small one. And so I started guiding over there, and I started guiding in Migdal David in the Supreme Court. I like guiding and doing different things and volunteering to do something. My husband started working in, in a kollel, and um, in 85 there was this trip to Yad Vashem, with Yad Vashem. So since I was working there, I was able to go. It was only for their people. And when I came back, they asked me to tell my story. And before I knew it, I was I was given testimony. And now, my, my grandson, Menuchah's son, who didn't have much interest in me. Uh, I mean, we talk, he's a 15-year-old kid. I have a picture. You, you probably don't know who this is, but let me tell you, I know who it is. Ray Allen. Ray Allen was one of the most, the best-known um, uh, basketball player. Mm -hmm. I have a picture, he's twice the size of me. <laughs> and I'll show you. Um, oh, I've got so many pictures. I went to the Maccabiya, so I've got a lot of pictures with that now. But here is channel two. Where is. Here we go. Here we go. We can pass this around. This is his, his signature, but I'll show you this. Can you see this? This is Ray Allen and Doral something or other, and Doran Schenkler, the best basketball players and the best uh, American players who are in the Hall of Fame, and I was speaking to them. And they, he gave me a card, which I gave to my grandson. And the next day, I, this is his card. He says it's worth a lot of money because it's a signature. I said, you could, I mean, I never heard of these people, but they're very famous. <laughs> the next day, I had this group, which, who are the best soccer team, and they gave me this yellow scarf. I gave that to my grandson. Now he calls me every night to speak to today. He's my best friend because I know these basketballs. Sure, you can pass it around. This is Ray Allen. You want to see? That's a real funny picture. Here, look, look at me there. Oh my! God. I'll pass it around. And see. We we have to. I mean, we could stay for the next see. week as far okay. as we're concerned, but we have a cab waiting. Oh, okay, okay. We've got a bus. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It was nice meeting you. Wednesday. If anybody wants to buy a book. I don't have to have the time now. I can send some with whatever. Oh, okay. we could take them to school.